Welcome to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here. Today will be a special episode. We're going to follow up on the holiday weekend, wishing everyone a happy Easter, a happy Passover, a happy Ramadan. There is a convergence of holidays that we're juggling this year. It's also an extremely tumultuous time on a number of fronts. One platform that is feeding the tumult is Twitter. One human who has been populating the zeitgeist for as long as this show has been going on is Elon Musk. Now there is some potential that Elon Musk will take over Twitter. He has put in a bid to acquire the company. On today's episode, we're going to run it back to some of our earliest episodes when the podcast was frequently a conversation between Dan Strafford, Brandon Jones, and myself while we were all at Kaplan. We'll play a little bit of the Elon episodes to reflect a little bit on what we've learned and also how things in some ways are very similar, even five or more years down the road. Before we get to that, the other topic that I wanted to touch on briefly is the subway shooting that happened here in New York City. In fact, it happened in the borough of Brooklyn, which is where my wife and son and I live. In fact, the shooting happened at a subway station that we use regularly. It's one stop away from where we normally use the subway, although a lot of those patterns have changed over the course of the past few years, and we have become less frequent subway riders. But just to bring it even closer to home, my wife had just gone out to drop off our three-year-old at Universal 3K here in Park Slope, Brooklyn. She was on her way back and was kind enough to be picking up some breakfast burritos on her way back from dropping Matthew off, and at that same time, it does look as though Frank James, the suspect in the subway shooting, was on his way to 7th Avenue and 9th Street, where he did flee the scene and was able to go unnoticed until he was eventually apprehended on Wednesday of this past week. But it is a time where safety and some of the basic needs, if we want to get Maslowian about this, are very much front and center. And it's a very easy time to get shook when things like this happen near you. It's also a time to hold your loved ones closer and hopefully at least take a break. Hopefully folks have had a chance to celebrate and break bread and engage with those who they love in whatever ways make sense as the spring season is now again upon us. We're going to keep this episode relatively brief. We're going to pick up here with some sound from our first reference to Elon Musk. This is back from episode 38 in the spring of 2017. We were talking about learning transfer. I'm going to pick up here with Dan Strafford, Brandon Jones, and I talking about the one, the only Elon Musk. 
This is right around when we named the empty chair in our audio studio, the Elon Musk chair, which was left empty on many a day, but an open invite extended to Elon back in the day. I was reflecting on whether that open invite still applies. I imagine it does. Downloads are downloads. Elon is a mercurial figure and a bit of a lightning rod and a litmus test. All these things. But let's hear a little bit of what Trending in Education was talking about, how we thought about a really interesting concept of learning transfer, how it relates to lifelong learning. We'll pick up a little bit here with Dan, Brandon, and I from the early days, episode 38 of Trending in Education. Welcome back to Trending in Education. Dan Strafford, Brandon Jones, Michael Palmer along with you. And on today's episode, we're going to talk about a person. We're going to talk about Elon Musk and even more so about how he learns. A great article in Quartz Media. So it's a QZ.com about Elon Musk and his obvious work across multiple, multiple uh, landscapes and uh, sciences and and industries really and how he's learned and how he's been able to grow himself uh, into the man we see before us uh, doing all these different things across many different platforms but first i uh, want to check in with the, the two great gentlemen who co-host this show here brandon how are you on this record of trending in education are we going to hear first from the two great gentlemen yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm waiting for them who, are to those, show up. who are those guys do we are we having special guests today mike i don't believe we do oh, is that that's us it's then. us it's it's special us. guests are us got it i'm doing well it's it's springtime here in uh, new york city that's a it's a great time to be mm-hmm. in the city so yeah i'm i'm doing well i'm fully present for this pod excellent and mike you've been doing a lot of traveling but you're back in the home office i am and i'm, I'm happy to not be traveling for a little while being home the more you're away the more you appreciate being home so yeah. that's kind of where i'm at it makes the the heart grow fonder or something along those lines. Now, Mike, you brought this article to our attention and we've talked about Elon Musk in passing and, and in conversations uh, outside of the podcast, but he sort of fits into the mold of a lot of things we talk about here, uh, about how we learn growth mindset, really pushing sort of the boundaries of a lot of different things in, in the private world and pushing some public ventures as well with the hyper tunnel and SpaceX and for people who don't know, do you have a sense of who Elon Musk is? Can you give us a sense of why he's interesting to you and why he's important to talk about in this context? Sure. Why he's interesting to me is he's the closest thing we have to Tony Stark. He's the closest thing we <laughs> have good. to Iron Man's alter ego. He seems like a benevolent mad scientist, but he's really nailing the mad scientist part. There's a chance he breaks bad. And I, I think that'd be really interesting yeah. as well. So I just find the mythology around him to be almost as interesting as the reality. And then this particular article I thought was really interesting because uh, the concept of learning transfer came up. And that to me was the one that resonated most as something we could learn from him. That in the turn of phrase, I think of the expert generalist, which I also found to be really interesting. So I thought... Those two things in particular, I thought we could expand on because it ties a lot to what we're talking about. And we could also talk about how he's like a, almost like a superhero. Yeah, I think we should get into the learning process. That's, that's the meat of this. Get ready for it. It's coming at you. Yeah. But uh, at one point, it does talk about, the author of this article talks about how Elon Musk is not magical. Mm. He just has a great process. Mm-hmm. Except he's also yeah. maybe magical. Yeah. Right? So he, he, mm-hmm. one of the things that cited is he read starting in his teenage years. I don't know if he's upheld this, but 
two books a day. Yeah. If you're reading a book a week, sure. That is 15 times more books than you're reading. Right. That's a lot. I read a lot of book titles every day. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Do you think Dr. Seuss, can I get in on that with what I read my kids? I think probably not. I think I've read, I read sometimes the same book 60 times in one day to my my two and a half year old. (laughs) Right. Right. But I think that that doesn't, I think that doesn't count. Right. It's an impressive Uh, number to say the least. And I think there is a bit of mythology here and the reason of what, you know, saying he's not a magical person or that uh, he isn't a superhero, though I do love the Tony Stark comparison as to where he is. For those who don't know, Tesla, Solar City, SpaceX, all companies of his, all companies. Hyperloop. Don't forget the Hyperloop. The Hyperloop out there. Hyperloop, Dan. That's uh, San Francisco to LA. Is that where that's? Sure. I think there's one in Dubai too. Yeah. Okay. I know they've been doing testing in different deserts where they can, but it was proposed, I believe, between San Francisco and LA as a theory. And he is now trying to put that into practice. But Brendan, to your point about the the learning process here, what interests you here? What stood out in this article about how he went about growing his knowledge base? And I thought one of the really intriguing parts here was taking and breaking down whatever he was studying and then trying to rebuild it back up in other areas that he knew was a really intriguing process. What what of this stood out to you and, and where do you think we should jump off about really where Elon Musk uh, shows to be an educational you know, person to look up to, somebody we can all try to emulate and get better at learning? Growing is the, the good jumping off point because he talks about the understanding of knowledge in a tree, that there are trunks and then branches, and then really you have to understand the more, I guess there are roots, what other parts of the tree? Roots. There are leaves. Leaves. Um, branches. I've named them all. So you have to- the Flowers. Fl- some, there, are some fl- there are flowering trees. Who probably knows about this? Elon, Elon Musk. Musk. But the idea that you know, as you're constructing knowledge that you do so, do so sort of organically, that construct I think is really interesting. Knowing, really having a deep understanding of the trunk Mm-hmm. before you get out to understanding of the detailed leaves mm-hmm. as a way to to build your knowledge base in a subject area. And then, as Dan, you mentioned, and, and maybe Mike can talk a little bit about the taking that construct and applying it to other fields. But I think that one of the abstracted points for me is being thoughtful about your approach to acquiring knowledge, having a construct, whatever the construct is, mm-hmm. I think just having that construct probably makes you a better learner and better retainer of information, having better recall. So th- this was a, a good and interesting uh, metaphor and construct for me. Yeah. And I think just to build on that, I think part of that is the power of metaphor just generally. And the idea that one of the the points that's made a few times in the article is that, you know, Musk goes deep on multiple topics and is able to abstract the learnings from one and apply them to another. So that's this concept of learning transfer. But I think you've talked about it, Brandon, as hooks, where like once you learn the first thing, that becomes a set of associations within your brain that it's easier to hang other things on. And I just thought that was a really interesting way of thinking about it and almost encouraged career shifts. It was almost an argument against over-specialization, which was another theme that particularly in a new economy world where a lot of new skills and capabilities are emerging, there is this sense of like, well, I got to make my right bet and go deep on this particular domain because this domain is going to be the future. And this, this concept and approach almost went in a different direction where it's like, you want to stay fluent, you want to stay conversant, you want to quickly be able to go deep on a few different things. And then in some ways that makes you better because you can say as an aerospace engineer, when I'm talking about 
self-driving cars, I'm going to bring something new, slightly different to bear, which also to me speaks to the power of diversity of thought, diversity of perspectives on a given topic. So I really thought there was a lot going on in this article. Yeah, I, I thought so too. And another sort of angle on the same point that you're making, Mike, is I, I read it as it's by virtue of having gone super deep on something, you know, gotten through the leaves to the branches, to the trunk, to the roots, you can actually by that same process, applying that same construct to another tree, right? Mm -hmm. To, to another field. You don't want to miss the metaphorist for the trees. Okay. It's an argument, both, it's both and, both for specialization, deep knowledge, and also then horizontal application of that. Correct. Like that's the expertise and how that expertise is constructed is applicable across to a lot of different fields. I think that is really encouraging to the points that you're making about thinking about having a career that has many different chapters, uh, branches. I think that there's, there's a lot, there's a lot here for that. Mm -hmm. It's great to see. And I do want to give credit to the author of this article, Michael Simmons on QZ.com says at the top of it, that basically was just enthralled by and, and consumed by how Elon Musk has been able to create these four or five multi-billion dollar companies. And how does he do it? To read it directly, to explain Musk's success, others have pointed to his heroic work ethic. He regularly works 85 hours a week. His ability to set reality distorting visions of the future and his incredible resilience. But he felt, this author, that was unsatisfactory. So we need to dive into how he learned. And Mike, you brought up the generalist, the expert generalist point before. And I have often used the phrase, jack of all trades, master of none, when perhaps describing my own skill set to a certain thing, not growth mindset. I completely understand that. But interesting to see here and talking about the tree, how that applies to being able to jump from thing to thing, to be able to be almost your own adjacency. Like you were saying, you're an aerospace engineer who can say, well, I'm looking at automated cars and this is how this applies. We've talked about adjacencies a lot here. Do you think that's a possibility? Can you be your own sort of sounding board across these different uh, domains like he seems to be? I think so. I mean, if you listen to what Brewer Saxberg was talking to us about as far as the future of work, I thought Brewer had some really salient points around our life cycles are getting longer. We're going to live into our 70s, 80s, 90s. And depending on the domain, you may max out on some of the expertise within a particular domain. You may get burnt out on it. The domain itself might get disrupted. And you're just going to have to continue to learn. Like we talk about always be learning as like a recurring theme. And it's something that I think is reinforced by this article. I think that coupled with the fact that the world's being disrupted at a much higher rate through, through new technology, artificial intelligence, all the things we've talked about at length on the show, I think that all indicates that almost an openness to not viewing your learning path as done at any point in your life, and also not thinking that I'm not good at X is good enough reason to not develop some base level understanding and maybe even some mastery, which is why I think a lot of this does elevate consciousness. Like I do hear non-growth mindset language, and <laughs> whether, whether it's you, Dan, or others. I mean, that is an indication that this stuff is getting through in some way, uh, at least to me. And then it's nice to see it reinforced, although some of it did feel a little, um, you know, the cult of of Elon. I want to go back to part of the question that you asked there. You'd asked Dan, can you be your own sounding board? And I think that's actually, that's really important. And I think the answer here is yes. And there's a specific thing I'm going to cite from the article here in just a second. But as you think about, Mike, because you're talking about the different 
I keep calling them chapters, but different uh, phases of one's career and, and always be learning. You are responsible for that. We say this a lot to people we work with here is that you're the owner of your own career. Your boss, if she takes an interest as she should, is going to be a contributor, but you're going to be more than 50% responsible. And I think that's true for learning, uh, skill acquisition, that you shouldn't wait for your employer to tell you we're closing shop and you don't have right. the skills for your next employer. Yeah. Like that, that's going to be, that's, that you own that responsibility. And I think, you know, one of the things that to me was really interesting from the article is the recommendation to be asking yourself two questions about whatever you're coming across in terms of knowledge base and honing skill. What does this remind me of? And why does it remind me of it? Mm -hmm. Those questions are good questions. There may be some more unpacking there, but just implicit in those questions is that you yourself are interrogating yourself mm -hmm. in an effort to improve yourself. And I think that's a lesson that we all can learn. It may be that Elon Musk is just a really talented self-interrogator. Mm -hmm. Mike, can we apply this to education at large? Can we apply this to the classroom? Can we apply some of these principles, to, obviously, to ourselves? I think Brandon just eloquently described how that, that might work. But do you see larger concepts here that can be a trend in education over the next few years, learning off of what Elon Musk does and learners like him? Yes. And I think it builds on some of what Brewer was talking about. And we've talked a lot about the importance of early childhood education so that rather than only talking about one thing, the one thing that you will do in your life to contribute or the one area of expertise that you're going to need to start thinking about early on in your life, I think that trope is a little bit dated. And I think trying to educate the next generation and next generations to be open to reimagining themselves and to be open to acquiring multiple expertises across their life course. I think that's a change and it, it, that ties to growth mindset and it ties, ties to some of the subtler things that are happening that I think are very much about what life in the 21st century is. One of the reasons why we talk about this type of stuff on the show is because we try to notice it. And I do think it, it is a change and it's a subtle one. So I think it's easy to miss. And I know both you guys are parents. I know both of you are very thoughtful about how you're raising your kids. I think this stuff does impact some of that and some of how you might begin, even at an early age. Like there's a little bit of myth making to it, but that's okay. And then there's a little bit of, I think, truth in it for everybody. Brandon, as we close out here on Elon Musk, what, anything else that stood out to you? Anything that from your perspective... You know, depending how long we keep this rolling, which I hope is uh, forever. Yeah, baby. I expect we're going to be talking about Elon Musk and the things that he does well into the future. He thinks big across crazy different. We talked about some of them, self-driving cars, mm -hmm. space exploration, across very wide fields. And I think that the application of some of the technologies, but also some of the processes around thinking and learning and sharing I think that's going to be relevant for us to keep talking about. So I think he will be a font of continued trending in education potential topics. And shout out to Elon. We have a seat available for you. There uh, literally is one. Mike is gesturing. I'm you gesturing. can't see it, Elon. It's a nonverbal gesture. Right in your learn holes. Yes, but, uh, but Elon, come on in. The, the water is fine. And there you have it. Some insight, some perspective from... Just about five years ago here on Trending in Education, right when we were rounding into form, just starting to warm up over 400 episodes since then, many different perspectives, many different voices, 
We were inside Kaplan then, we're operating independently now, but a lot to reflect on. And as Brandon was indicating there, we couldn't quite quit Elon Musk, whether we wanted to or not. He's now back in the news. He, in some ways, is known for trumping up news, even when it isn't there. He's a bit of a publicist and a marketer, a bit of a P.T. Barnum meets Nikolai Tesla, among other things. And the mythic quality of his persona and how it's treated in the media, how he even feeds into that narrative is another interesting element. My reference to Tony Stark, I will stick with. It is always interesting to look back on what you said and what we thought as a show many, many years ago. Hopefully that puts into perspective what we see today and how we understand how the future may roll out. We have one other show to bring you some sound from. This was later on in summer of 2017 when Elon was very much bubbling up in the collective consciousness once again. This show provides a little more of a survey across the different businesses that Elon was running. And in particular, we dove in a little bit further into his company Neuralink, which is our first foray into brain-computer interfaces, something that's been a theme here on Trending in Ed from way back when. And like him or not, appreciate his impact, potential impact to Twitter or not. The fact that he was on top of things with Neuralink back then, and it's still something that at least activates the imagination is worth noting. There have been other controversies around Neuralink, around the treatment of animals and so forth. At the same time, there's many applications of this, uh, particular for brain injury folks and, and also stroke victims and folks who have had any significant neurological trauma. Let's hear just a bit more of our early musings on the impact of Elon and some of our early thoughts on Neuralink. We'll pick up with that quickly and then bring this episode to conclusion. And on today's episode, we're talking about a couple of different articles that are out there. One focusing on Elon Musk's new venture called Neuralink, and also an article from the Wall Street Journal on how our phones are transitioning to be more than just an iPhone, more than just an Android, but what they'll be in the future, combining those two to talk about uh, cyborgs a bit as we move forward. But first, as always, and most importantly, Brandon, how are you? What's new in your world? I'm fine mentally. That's good. I'm mostly fine physically. Like this was no, no big reveal come for me, uh-huh. but uh, I'm a little, I'm a little under the weather. So if you listeners, if you're hearing extra gravelly oh, no. in my voice, yeah, uh, it's because I have a two and a half year old at home yes. and sometimes they get sick. Like that's yeah. what happens. I think that's important. Like it builds up the immune system, but she, uh, she takes down daddy's immune system on the way. Yeah. Thanks for asking, Dan. I feel better now that you asked me, although I still probably sound the same. It's really nice out. So you could feel really good and still be under the weather today. It's true. And Michael, yourself, how are you this uh, fine day? I'm good. I'm excited to, to talk cyborgs, uh, maybe talk centaurs, you know, you name it. It's going to be fun. As I uh, suggested at the top, we're talking a little bit about Elon Musk and uh, Neuralink, uh, which is a, a business from Elon Musk uh, uh, surrounding AI to an extent. Now, Mike, in the past, we've talked about Musk and his uh, futurism, his looking towards the future and his, I'll say fear, that's my word, not his, but his uh, belief that AI and super AI can become a major problem in the future. Neuralink is a business venture that seems to uh, be targeted a bit at that, but in the near term, Mike, 
seems to be focused on helping people with physical and mental problems by hooking up computers directly to the brain to solve those problems. It seems a bit of science fiction, but doesn't seem like we're too far off. What do you know and what from this article did you glean that you thought was interesting? Science fiction is frequently becoming science fact these days, Dan. I think we've talked about that. The idea of connecting your brain to technology makes a lot of sense. And starting with those who have brain damage makes a lot of sense. But then obviously it opens up questions on the other side. You know, if you could do things to help those who have had brain injuries to get back to quote unquote normal cognitive functioning, you could imagine same or similar technology could make folks who have normal brain functioning or great brain functioning perform even better. And I think that's where it starts to get more science fiction-y. And that's also where it becomes a question of AI versus something. And the AI might be versus something like uh, a super genius who has an augmented cognitive capability due to stuff like Neuralink. It's really interesting stuff. I mean, Tesla, Tesla, I always call him Tesla. Tesla is a really interesting figure. Nicholas Tesla, Nikolai yeah. Tesla. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And like, that's a great name for a company. Neuralink. Strong. The Boring Company. SpaceX, strong. Neuralink is okay, I think. Yeah. Elon, if you're listening, we still love you, buddy. And yeah. we're, we're looking forward to when you're on our show yeah. in a couple months. But right. I th so SpaceX, great name. Tesla, great name. Amazing. PayPal? Well. Fine. Neuralink? Yeah. I think it's a little too on the nose. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, and then The Boring Company. The Boring Company. These are his companies. Yeah. Maybe we could just walk through them real quick, too, just for yeah. context. Let's do it. It shows a lot about Elon Musk, really. <laughs> I know. Basically. I mean, it's about Neuralink, but it's also about Elon Musk. And yeah. then Elon, friend of the show, you're welcome. We have, we do have our guest seat available. Yeah, we're not holding it just for Elijah. It's, it for, it's, yeah, for, it's yeah. for Elon. Yeah, so join us. You got the the Tesla. Right. Electric cars. Sure, sure enough. Good bet. Some, yeah, the future, something's going to happen with electric cars. Teslas look cool. Tesla's a great name. Edison and Tesla back mm -hmm. in the days, uh, early days of electricity and uh, all that. Then you got your SpaceX. It's for great. Private uh, space exploration. You had me at SpaceX. Yeah. Then you go to the Boring Company, mm -hmm. which is almost a good name because it's funny, but it might just be kind of a bad name. Yeah, I, and, I like it. Okay. And that's, I was calling it the Superloop. What is it called, Dan? It's the Hyperloop. Hyperloop. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, 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 the knockoff. Of the the Superloop is at Coney Island, I think. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is the high-speed tunnels for high-speed transport. And then you get Neuralink. Neuralink is really this idea of the link between our brains and technology and augmented cognition. They're all really interesting. I think particularly for us from a perspective of learning, I, I do think Neuralink is particularly interesting. So should we talk a little about, about Neuralink? Let's do it. And you mentioned this uh, earlier in the show, but Neuralink is a, it's a, a company that's, that's working on brain computer interfaces. I think you're already there, Brandon, from the way you're... I sure, I, I sure might be. So these... Um, these brain-computer interfaces already exist today. So this is not science fiction. This is science fact. But today, they're simple. So they can connect a few hundred brain cells at a time. And there are applications um, for them uh, for them today, for people with disabilities, helping people hear and see who have impairments to move limbs. So those are, those are like unbelievably transformative advances for those people who are impacted and something that that does feel like science fiction, even, you know, maybe 20 years ago, the idea that you could be controlling a robotic arm because you've lost a limb through just thinking about it. Crazy talk. Crazy. Happening today. Yeah. 
but he's planning on a lot deeper, millions, billions of brain cells. I think that's interesting. Interesting indeed. We're going to wrap up the episode here. There's more in that episode, which we'll reference in the show notes where we get into the 10 neurological enhancements that are on the horizon with brain-computer interfaces. Also, more of a deep dive into how our iPhones are the beginning of the creation of our cyborg selves, and a little bit of a top five list of all-time great movie cyborgs, among other things. Our back catalog is pretty entertaining. It was fun for me to pull from it to put this episode together. Thanks, as always, to all of our contributors, including founding members Dan Strafford and Brandon Jones, who joined me for the first 250 or so editions of Trending in Education. So if you liked this flavor, there's plenty more of that varietal in the back catalog. Check us out. And hopefully we'll be able to blend in more of the old thinking with the new the Elon Musk conversation is certainly not going away. There's questions now as to whether he is engaging in some shenanigans in terms of bumping up the stock price so that he can pump and dump, much like he did with Dogecoin or meme stocks or stonks, as we like to say these days. Lots going on. He'll certainly continue to draw the collective attention. We'll look for lessons learned from there. Think about how some of these new and emerging technologies might impact the world of learning. And of course, come back with interviews and conversations and perspectives from across the wide range of learning professionals passionate about the future of learning, the future of education. With that, we'll bring today's episode to a close. Again, once more, Elon, if you do want to join me here on Trending in Education, that offer stands for our listeners. If you like what you're hearing, tell a friend, subscribe, write us a review. Also send us recommendations. If you know somebody who's doing interesting work, somebody who deserves more attention, who might want to weigh in in a conversation here on Trending in Education, we'd love to hear from you at Trending in Ed on Twitter. Subscribe to us wherever you get your pods. We'll be back again soon. This is Trending in Education. 